Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, pits of Salak and regular folk, welcome back to the Manchalian Candidate, where we are going to be waxing many, many things this very day. This is a broad one, and I'm a broad guy. My name is G-Man, and I'm sitting across from the powerful P-Boss. Good morning, sir. I'm always up for a broad waxing. You know this. I know this already. It does take a lot of wax. It this does. Is what I know. It does, and it's going to take <laughs> a lot of time. <laughs> Perfect. Settle in and strap on. Oh, boy. We've drifted into this incredible quantum realm uh, of a program, and it's taken some time for us to wrap our heads around it. We've had breakdowns, uh, and we put ourselves back together, and then another breakdown. Yes. And here we are, and finally we're back. So thanks for being patient with us all out there in the potty land. Mm -hmm. Um, We're very excited today, P-Boss. I'm excited. We're going to be talking about um, probably... My absolute favorite film in the whole entire cosmos, very easily, is James Cameron's masterpiece, The Terminator 2 dot dot Judgment Day. Yes. Now, oh, this is a big one. This is, we've talked about this almost every episode so far. I think so. Unrelated, you know, I bring it up somehow. I know. Um, Being that it's got everything that you need, man. You know, this is time travel, and this is what we're really going to be focusing on today. Paradoxes and time travel uh, through the lens of, well, the starting point would be the Terminator. Now, not even particularly Terminator 2, which is the best action film of all time, as far as I'm concerned, but the Terminator, the notion of the Terminator, what actually happens in the paradoxes, yes? Yes, yes. So... Mm. Yeah, but it's a mind flay. This one, it's um, it's oh, it's almost <laughs> oh. it's almost as bad as the demons. Like I feel like I've I feel like I've only just recovered from the demons, and now you you send me you send me asunder in the quantum realm, in the bloody now realm, in the past realm. I don't even know how to spell realm. <laughs> oh. I don't either. Oh man, we need to get uh, Grammarly or something like that. We'll be able to afford that soon, though. But I do, can't f- wait. I do feel like putting in the caveat that look, if we do kind of ruin the time travel genre, we're really not meaning to do that. So, mm. um, you know, we're very, very happy to separate our science fiction popcorn chewing hats, of which uh, ten gallon just doesn't describe it, <laughs> um, from our whole Neil deGrasse Tyson esque sort of world, but. But again, this is a fascinating water cooler style discussion that we're coming at you live through your portal. And uh, w- once again, I think this is going to be an undulating highway that might be the surface or the tip of the iceberg of a big topic. So let's, uh, you know, let's get as far as we do today and just see what happens. Indeed. Um, this is this is rather confusing, or can be. There are certain elements of this uh, topic we're going to discuss that are grounded definitely in physics and reality and things that we know, absolutely for sure. Or things that we think we know, right? <laughs> as, exactly, as, Mondo. As you pointed out, uh, a lot of this is still like, well, we think we know. We're pretty sure we know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What we think we know, but then we drift, of course, into a fantastical realm of almost just letting some of these notions run free in the field of, you know, destiny. So we'll see how it goes. Some of it's really quite amazing. Some of it's scary. Um, Not demon scary, but we'll get to that. And some of it's just awkward. (sighs) We've done it already. (laughs) I knew we would. Damn it. Now we're going to kick off by discussing what we know about time. As human beings, this is very important to point that out too. As human beings, as we are right now, what we do understand about time is that we are traveling through time right now. We are. But only, yeah, 
but only forwards and in Earth time, human Earth time, which is relative to us. Um, and that's perception, is it not? Like time is a perception from what we can gather. Um, and we put, we give little three little parts about time for us to, for human beings to sort of quantify and understand. We've got the past, the present, and the future. Mm-hmm. So these are the things that we do actually understand. And little things, how it's relative. You know, if, you, if you're having fun, time flies. If you're in a meeting or you're being bored somewhere, you can watch those seconds on the clock basically go backwards. And it's oh. quite abhorrent we've been there sir it's just cruel yeah it really is and but you know it's very uncertain at this point um when we'll get into this quite a bit later about whether traveling backwards through time is even physically possible correct this is where it gets interesting this is what we're going to sink in and soak in for a little bit Back in time is really where it's at. That's where most of the films that we really enjoy and most of the ideas really come from is going back in time and manipulating something perhaps or, you know, influencing an event or something like this. Seldom do we go into the future in, uh, you know, time travel films and it's, you know, God, they did it really well in Back to the Future 2, which was stunning version of going into the future. But we're going to get back to that in a little bit later. So, this is Trixie, 1915, Albert Einstein, Uh the theory of general relativity, right? Outlining geometric theory of gravitation Mm -hmm. is one of the four major physical effects of the universe that we know. The others, electromagnetism, strong and weak radioactive forces, respectively. Yes. So, what this, what we understand from all of this is that traveling into the future physically as we are, is absolutely possible. Not just relative Earth time, but literally. So let me give you a little hypothetical based on something that we actually do know. The faster you travel, the slower time moves for you. Now, this is absolutely true, and it can be observed very easily, and I'll explain that in just a second. But the hypothetical is if you are a traveler in a spaceship and you travel at sublight speed, which is damn fast, away from planet Earth, time slows for you relative to the time on planet Earth to all your people. So if you were to leave, say, you're your twin brother, right, and you travel five years off towards Alpha Century, five your traveler years, yeah, and you return again, taking 10 years in total for yourself, when you return, your twin brother is much, much older than you. You've actually Ooh. slowed time for yourself and everything on Earth has just aged as it would have normally. So, in effect, that, as perception, you've traveled forwards through time to those on the planet. When we're near a heavy gravitational force, such as a black hole or a neutron star, that also slows down time for us, which is Really quite phenomenal thought, you know. And that's where I don't want to bring in too much of anything Christopher Nolan upon this program, but in Interstellar where they go to that planet where the gravitational force is so dense on that planet that every hour is considered seven years Earth time. These things are actually theoretically possible, which is, God, it hurts the mind though, doesn't it? Like, And the one way that we can actually see it like literally on planet Earth, is that our GPS satellites experience time dilation themselves. Every day, they, uh, they gain 38 milliseconds per day 
whilst up there. It's phenomenal. And so the atomic clocks on site have to account for that. It's, it's bizarre. What do you know about traveling in the future, P-Boss, here? I think what's an interesting for me is trying to explain to my young son the idea of, of time travel. You know, that's a, try try explaining that to a nine year old. It's mm, even more mm. difficult than explaining it to you know a guy in his mid forties. Now the thing is, the easiest analogy I gave him was we picked a star that we knew <clears throat> no longer existed, or you know was dying or in the process of dying, and we could literally you know use a chart and calculate how far away it was, and just say, look, in a sense. Some of these stars that are no longer, they, they, they no longer exist, yet we're still seeing them. We're still receiving their light. Um, that was one of the easiest ways of me sort of giving him an example of time travel. Like, so relative to me, this thing is alive and visible. However, that light is potentially 300,000 plus years old. Um, so for me, you know, for me, it's in the now, but for, for, for the light and its origin, it's in the then. Yeah. And um, I, I've I've always found time travel absolutely fascinating, and it leads me to a question in terms of because you know me I always make sense of the world through through the film and you know through the lens of film and television. What's your earliest memory of like a time travel show? Ah, oh, it's Doctor Who, my bro. You know, exactly. whatever time it was on ABC, and hearing the music, and then Tom Baker's face sort of fading in and then fading out. And, and that was my earliest idea of even what it might look like to travel through like a wormhole or a portal. You know, it's like a head flying through a tunnel. Um, oh, I remember. Which was, just, <laughs> which was just absolutely fantastic. But yes, man, I, I think this is a really interesting topic. And the deeper you go into it, the more we understand that some of these great TV shows and movies that we're that we're going to explore are fundamentally flawed, um, and that's okay, man. That's okay. Mm. That's one of the hardest things that I discovered. I think when starting this program was sort of I was so starry eyed for the whole notion of the time travel experience. No pun intended. Every <laughs> that's right. Every corner that I turned around, there's a there's a big old pothole paradox stopping it and just really stumping me and you know, stopping me in my tracks. And um, we're going to get into some paradoxes in just a tick. I mean, we have to. We have <laughs> oh, to. Oh, mate. Oh, I think we should. the program should almost be called Paradoxes because that's uh, it all boils down to, you know, this, this whole notion where, sorry, mate, that can't happen. It's like, oh, for God's sake. But so what I think we're going to do is pose a, a, a suggestion of time travel completely debunk it and then try to sail, salvage it um, at the end. Yeah, yeah. Program. Much I hope so. Much, <laughs> much like IKEA furniture, we're going to sort of unpack it, pull <laughs> stuff out, not be able to identify it, slap it together as best we can, and then realise we've got four or five bits still sitting there on the floor. <laughs> and, but that will do, Pig. <laughs> that will do. And that's okay too. <laughs> it really has to be, man, because I'm not putting that this together. This is right why we don't time. work on cars. But... I mean, did you did you want to start? It's hard for me not to not to not to even begin today just by unpacking the wonderful the wonderful film that you've mentioned before the the Terminator oh. universe, man. I mean, yes. I mean, can we start there, please? Because at least then I'll feel slightly safe before we smash it all to bits. Oh, I'd love to. I think that's really important anchor point. You know, that's an anchor point for us. And yeah, I will. I'd I'd love to. 
Dude, 84 for films. Come on. So this concept is James Cameron completely who wrote and directed the film. And apparently he devised this concept of the Terminator. Tripping. Um, yeah, he was he was on holiday somewhere doing something. And he had this fever dream, right? He was sick ass. And uh, it was about a metallic torso using kitchen knives to drag itself across the ground, escaping an explosion. And so Love it. <laughs> this he wrote down and has become this really roller coaster and amazing, f- ah, I was going to say amazing franchise, amazing two films. Mm. Yeah, it still is a franchise. We can talk about that later. Uh, is it? Yeah. I uh, know, I know. Um, but anyway, we're going to neglect those today, if you don't mind. Um, but it was sort of and completely inspired by John Carpenter, who, was, who had just made sort of Halloween years earlier. On a super low budget, he decided to make his own Hollywood low budget horror film. And boy, dude, The Terminator, number Oh, it's a scary old film, dude. We hadn't seen that before. And this malevolent. Evil, unstoppable, unthinking machine determined on killing Sarah Connor. Are you serious? This is terrifying, man. Um, and just to jump in, like, it's fascinating. I've heard uh, Jimmy Cameron speak um, of his inspiration, of the influence of uh, Michael Myers. He, you know, because that's the thing about Carpenter. He he created a bad guy that was devoid of of motivation really he created a bad guy that was just essentially like a great white shark it's just like there's not not a lot of premeditation in my malevolent crimes unlike you know a lot of the other films of the time but it's like this is what i am i'm just i just do my thing i kill people Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i remember james cameron talking about that in an interview saying he wanted to explore that modality just that that ruthless um unceasing killer that just just kills. It just it's it's it is its job. As my coffee machine on the bench, it has one job to you know produce wonderful lattes. This you know Cameron wants to explore this machine that is purely in existence to you know to kill. That Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop, ever, until you are dead. Yes, calling itself the Terminator. It's not trying to hide its intentions in this one at all. It's pretty much in the it's it's in the job title, isn't it? It is actually, yeah, yeah. And I, there are th- certain things that I really like, you know, that don't try to invent new words for themselves. Like, you know, what's great about a washing machine? Yeah. I know what it does. Exactly. By hearing it's, you know, it's great. The Terminator terminates. Exactly. Simple. Exactly. Um, it's it's super interesting too about the casting in this. Oh. Um, I, I just absolutely love it. Like Schwarzenegger is it put him on the map basically. It well absolutely. cemented him on the map. He was already you know Conan wise and all this, but dude, he was going to be generally he's the good guy. He's the hero. Wow, cast him as the bad guy. Are you serious? He's got like six lines in the whole film, and he's menacing and terrifying. And a lot of them what became a- famous. <laughs> yes, 100%, dude. But what was interesting, what I learned is that Sylvester Stallone's, um, you know, Schwarzenegger's old school acting rival, um, and Mel Gibson both turned down the role. They did. Terminator. Um, and <laughs> what I find funny is O.J. Simpson was, in fact, in, in, in a contender. But um, 
Cameron denied him of it because he didn't think he'd be a convincing killer. Oh, uh, <laughs> <one> it, <of> the- <laughs> and I and I think I think also what was fascinating is that there were actually early pre-production scenes filmed with the wonderful Lance Hendrickson as the yes. Terminator. Yes, and um, you know, poor bastard, he he's he's he missed out. And of course, the story goes that the the Jim's Cameron goes off and has a lunchtime meeting with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger and just falls in love with the pure presence and physicality um, of this man, so much so that he essentially is is okay with rewriting or diverting a major character asset or professional attribute of a killing machine in that, yeah. you know, Lance Henriksen in a crowd is going to blend in. Yes. Um, a, a, a one A Schwarzenegger in, at that era of his life is most certainly not. So um, I also heard him when he was asked about that later on upon reflection, he said it actually kept more in tune with the original Mike, um, I nearly said Mike Myers, um, <laughs> Michael Myers sort of idea of going, well, you know, Michael Myers sticks out of a crowd and he don't care. Yeah, um, yeah. And, of course, poor old Lance gets a tiny little role in it and, you know, but I guess he was paid back with the uh, wonderful android that we all love, Bishop, later on oh, in he got uh, a, Aliens. He got, a good, <laughs> he got his robot gig with Cameron, man. But that is an interesting thing you mentioned, man. Bravo. And um, I, I'd love to see... Uh, Lance Henriksen as a Terminator, even just as a concept, like because he was uh, he was so skinny then. He's got like this. He could be really predatory, praying mantisy, you know. Yeah, and as you said, blend very the small, crowd. very yeah. small little dude. But I don't know. Then it just it just wouldn't have been what it was. You no. needed, you know, the whole thing takes on a different flavor. Um, even the fact because you know firing guns with blanks in them is really not dissimilar to firing guns with real rounds in them. And yeah, so later on when we're at the police station and Arnold is literally firing heavy caliber uh, assault rifles and shotguns just with one One hand. hand. Yeah. You know, that whole scene just becomes completely, you know, structured differently. And much kudos to Hendrickson, but I'm sure he couldn't have done that. (laughs) Nah, dude. It would have a totally different flavour. And so whatever happened, happened, and it happened well, and I'm very glad for it. He Um, uh, He kind of put a saddle on a great white, didn't he? It seriously did, though, hey? Like, unbelievable. And that's why it's so much more refined in Terminator 2 when he's, in fact, been reprogrammed by John Connor in the future, and he's actually there to protect John now. And it's got, oh, thank goodness we've got this tough guy on our team because and, as adversary, horrifying. And then, and then, look, we have one of the first pop culture stabs at uh, – at time travel or getting around a time travel issue in terms of saying, I think it's Kyle Reese that actually explains, um, you know, that the living tissue allows things to travel through time. They, they do that clumsy try expl- attempt at an explanation as to why weapons can't come through and all this yeah. sort of stuff. And why clothes can't come through. Yeah, they got to come back through time <laughs> completely stark naked so Schwartzy can stand there with his guns out, you know. Yes. <laughs> Crazy. Yes. That's uh, probably yeah. why. It was yeah. a design choice, man. That's yeah, right. so we've brought up a few things that if you haven't seen The Terminator, I'm very sorry. We've oh, got leaps and bounds here. But the whole idea is, a, you know, a machine uh, covered in living tissue sent from the future to 1984 by a self-aware AI calling itself Skynet to kill a lady named Sarah Connor, who, whose uh, unconceived son will destroy the AI in the future. 
Um, and so her son John Connor in the future is aware of Skynet's intention and sends a soldier back to the past to protect Sarah. And the soldier is Kyle Reese, who you just mentioned, and he's a lieutenant in John's resistance against Skynet. And he, in fact, what happens? He shags his mum and becomes his dad. And this is well. The big- hang on, he doesn't shag his own mum. No, in Kyle Reese sh- shags. Oh. That's right, John Connor's mum. That's now, right. Now this is uh, G Man. Those listening at home, you know, in the future from when we're recording this. By the way, how is the world? Is it good? Is it better? Um, Bloody cold. <laughs> Damn it! Uh, emotionally, so I mean, yeah. <laughs> we we're giving we're, we're throwing out these details for a reason because. Things are getting. Is it just me? Open a window, G man, because things are getting paradoxy in here. Yes, they are. Um, and now I think, I think if you don't mind, let's move on. Let's move straight on to the Terminator Two, which is you mm. know just your source of joy. Yes. Um, and then perhaps we could start going back through and you know mm. going on paradox watch. Yes, can we? Please. Please. Because what happens is the same thing happens again, right? Similar no, thing. No. Yes, it does. Can you believe it? Things repeating themselves. Ah. In 1991, The Terminator 2. It's actually set in 95, which is kind of whack, isn't it? Did you know that? Like, yeah, it's made in 91, set in 95. Okay. But there you go. Yeah. Um, and just before we go to the story mode, oh, the T-1000, I'm serious, man. That, those effects of the T-1000, Robert Patrick playing the T-1000, hold up today, man. The shiny liquid metal man, are you serious? This is like the new version of the Terminator that's, that has got anything solid in. What the hell? Oh, what a it's terrible, terrible enemy. It, exactly. Like like Arnold Schwartzy is the Nokia 3210 to the mm-hmm. uh, Samsung Galaxy S22 that is the Robert Patrick. And again, kudos, don't get me started, kudos on the, on the casting there. Like I just can't see it done better by anyone else. It's just such a strange... Such a strange-looking individual in this role. Like, yeah. just, just really puts out, and I'm guessing that it's absolutely intentional, that he just doesn't have a soul. <laughs> it has to be intentional, I'm sure of it. Because I, I do that smile. sometimes, you know, and, and the, the wife just elbows me and goes, you're doing it again, and I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, wait, but, sorry. But my lord, man! Um, even even the physicality that he did, the physical training that he mm. did, like he is hooting along, man, in those scenes when he is running, man. Yeah, he is absolutely belting, um, and to just wow! I mean, to come up with something that is so different and so dangerous, even for the Terminator, mm. and even you know their 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 early fight scenes, and you're just looking at that going. Arnie can't win this. He can't win this. This Yeah. That's the thing. How do you actually come up with an adversary that can easily subdue and destroy a Terminator, the T eight hundred model? My God. But they did it. It's stunning, isn't it? Like and so this is where we drift from um to to where the paradox is going to appear here. Oh, here it comes. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So Skynet, according to Terminator two, is created or spearheaded by a fella named Miles Bennett Dyson. Bastard. Yes, who used the chip and arm from the original T-800 Schwarzenegger model from Terminator 1 that Sarah Connor crushed in that crusher machine. The chip. Do you know about the chip? What chip? They keep it in a vault at Cyberdyne. It must be from the other one like you. The CPU from the first Terminator. They told us not to ask where they got it. It was scary stuff, radically advanced. I mean, it, it was smashed. It didn't work, but 
It gave us ideas, took us in new directions. I mean, things we would have never... But they recovered an arm and they recovered a cracked chip from its head. It's, it's, it's CPU. And he's kind of and back-engineered and... That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so using this chip, they have back-engineered or reverse-engineered this to discover what was sort of uh, running it and developed Skynet, this artificial intelligence. So where does the causality loop begin? Here, this here we go. Right. Like I start scratching my head already. Yes. yes. And so we, we, we come to this thing called an ontological paradox or an infinite causal loop. So how did Skynet send back an object that was responsible for its own creation, right? So it never would have been created if Skynet hadn't taken over the world and then sent the Terminator back in time to get destroyed to ultimately lead to the creation of itself. And if you're trying to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're trying to look at this in terms of like a chicken and egg cycle, and if you, you, you look at it like that, you go, oh, okay, I guess that's feasible to a point in terms of sitting in a movie theater breaking wind and eating chalk tops, but... Where does that causality loop start and how does it start? I just can't – that's the bit I can't get my head around and I'm assuming that's the ginormous paradox. That's the big problem we're faced here. And all of a sudden you just bang your head against the wall because there is no definitive answer to that. And Lord knows I've spent at least half an hour on the toilet scrolling on my phone looking at the problems of this and there is no solution. It's just – it's simply – a perfect, a perfect paradox, and that's and, you know, and yeah. that's that's what they call research, people. Un solid, <laughs> solid research. That's exactly right. It was solid research. From, from thank G- you for asking. Yeah, from G Man's <laughs> uh, Toilet Institute. No, but I get, I get what you're saying. So that's kind of one of our first paradoxes, and and just just for just for those playing at home, what what kind of paradox is that? First up, well, we call that an ontological paradox. Or- Understood. Yeah, which yeah, it's it's a, it's a tough one, but that's a good way way to start. But I think like let's dr- drift into paradoxes if we could. What, what do you what's think a, about that? What's a what's the plural of paradox? Paradise, paradigm, paradoxes, paradoodles. We'll call them paradoodles for today because that good. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Although this is a PG rated program, so oh no, uh, paradoodle just sounds like a different kind of dog. It's fine. It does. Actually, so it? so um. I'm I'm looking I'm looking here and I'm saying that we've got um, the first paradoodle because the mm-hmm. on, ontological paradoodle is really just about okay well where where can something occur in its genesis in an in an infinite causal loop and we're saying therein lies the paradox um, the temporal paradox or the grandfather paradox gene mm, yes that, that we're going to have some absolute paradox abuse here yes. Big time, and this is this is probably the most classic. This is this is the, the obvious one, I think, and it it appears in so many literatures across the board. and And the whole grandfather of the paradox is named after the idea of if you went back in time, per se, you had that time machine and you eliminated your grandfather, would you still exist? Right, So your grandfather was never able to conceive you, hence you would never have been able to go back in time to eliminate him. So. How did it happen? Yeah. How did it even happen? Is it even possible to do that? Is there some sort of grand power stopping you from influencing time in such a fashion? Or are there multiple dimensions, which is something well, we have to talk about a bit later. Jesus. See, I know. This is because you could have, in fact, gone back in time to a different dimension 
inadvertently and done that or created and splintered time by eliminating your grandfather. So you did. It's but it, what but, do you but say? I guess my point is though, even if you did create an alternate timeline or a parallel universe, you're still where you've left from is still in that same timeline that's impacted by you your you offing your grandfather. Mm. Unless unless you're saying you're suggesting that you just jump over into a different um, timeline or, or reality. Um, we talked about it the other day and I'm hoping the uh, the listeners will will remember this movie, the Jet Li movie, the sci-fi called The One. Mm, yes. Do um, you remember that one, man, where he's just... That doesn't have Statham is it, in it, does it? No, I mean. No, I mean. You know, and literally he is he is travelling through all the parallel universes, kind of highlandering all the other himselves. So as he destroys all the alternate hymns throughout all the alternate universes, he obviously becomes increasingly exponentially more powerful. Yes. That for me, is a highly underrated time travely sci-fi idea, but again, cannot cannot really stand the scrutiny of too many of these paradoxes. Um, yes. And look, it, it would be it would be remiss of me. This is my opportunity to mention uh, Star Trek, as you know. Ooh. Uh, I like to do in every conversation that we have offline. <laughs> yeah. Um, but an example of this would be the Hugo Award-winning uh, episode from the original Star Trek series, "The City on the Edge of the River," um, and Doctor McCoy. You know, you remember Doctor McCoy, the grumpy doctor. You know. Oh yeah. I'm a doctor, not an escalator. Spock, give me a hand. Um, he's accidentally thrown back in time to the New York slums and the Great Depression era where he saves um, Edith Keeler, who's a social worker who was actually fated to die young in a traffic accident. Um so this woman's example of tolerance so goes on in the in her subsequent life, which has now been saved, to influence um, national conversation that the United States would have never um, entered the world Second World War Two. She, you know, she goes to mm. so there's this whole parallel world where fascism spreads unchecked for the next three hundred years, and the utopian Federation world of McCoy's is actually never formed. Um, so, so in the absence of this woman, so it's only it's only when you know. Um, Captain Kirk follows McCoy back and allows Keeler's death, despite having fallen in love with her in the meantime. Of course you know. he bloody did. Of course, right? That's Kirk. Um, that the proper future is um, is restored. So it's just, um, again, it just doesn't survive that paradox in in any sort of general scrutiny. Um, you just you just can't have something you know impacting or occurring in the past and expect the exact future that is the genesis of people going back to try and have an impact so yes. and yes. it's a wonderful episode man it's a classic it just doesn't survive the grandfather paradoxy also aka the temporal paradox no 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 and that, that's sort of akin a little bit to um uh, we're not drifting too far from this, but the the, the butterfly effect is something that we've con commonly known as well. And, yes, um, that is something that that's brought up in time travel quite a bit as well. You know, some tiny change in the past, or 
in the present, having a massive dramatic impact that's right. elsewhere. So that's why you know the Simpsons highlights it. He goes back, yes. Homer goes back through time and steps on a steps on a bug, and then it changes everything from there on out. You know, and th- that's similar to what you're talking about. Like you could accidentally, you know. Um, have such greater effect if you're not super, super careful if this is actually a thing. Well, even even um, the video game, and I'm trying to think of it, Wolfenstein, one of the, one of the uh, later iterations of Wolfenstein, you remember like that new one? Order, it was so yeah. much, yeah, yeah. It was so much fun because it just it just you know provided the idea that the Nazis never lost. And, uh, you know, Blaskovitz wakes up and it's just, yeah, it's on, yeah. you know, in terms of, in terms of a very, very different world. And, um, yeah, I love the idea and I think it resonates, it's, it's, it resonates in story and song and mythology. It's always going to be, it's always going to be a thing. Um, it's a classic hero's journey, right versus wrong. The, the yeah, potential, yeah. you know, the potential within, within everyone, um, but yeah, it's not going to survive the uh, the white lab coats and the uh, and the chalkboard, is it? No, sir. And they do similar similar sort of thing in uh, Command and Conquer Red Alert in the first one. They go back in time, eliminate Hitler, thinking this is going to be the best for the earth, and then back in the future, the Soviets have risen to this ludicrous amounts of power, and they're the antagonist. You know, so it's you can't do it, man. You just shouldn't do it's it. It's one of it's those. Become- it's one of those things where for years I wished for some sort of functional time machine. My, my fave, and we might allude to it later, is obviously the TARDIS. But it, the more I did research on this, it's like, damn it, if I did blast myself back in the TARDIS to the dinosaurs or what have you, I'd be too scared to go out the front door. It's like, I, this is a lot of responsibility. I really don't want to mess up time in the future. <laughs> and also, also, you do this research and you go, well, man... I step out the door, step on the wrong animal, have the wrong impact. Uh, I potentially am just going to, you know, fall into dust like, uh, a, you know, end game. <laughs> oh, no. So, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. no, not on my watch, man. Thank you. you. Just, just step lightly. <laughs> I think that's the real trick. Buy some Crocs. Or We're something. not the guys you give a time machine to. No, 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 no. Oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, we really are. No, I really want TAB. I just go to TAB. That's fine. Yeah, no, exactly. Oh, that's what we'd all do, is it not? Jeez. Yes. Another little sick little paradox. It's called the bootstrap paradox. Oh, yes. All right. And this is, um, once again, it's a causal loop. And this is... It's basically what we've just been talking about, the ontological one with um, the Terminator. So sort of like, you know, a book, like you receive a book, right? Perhaps from a stranger, you find it on the street or something. And inside that book contain the instructions how to build a time machine. And obviously, you've got some scientific knowledge and you can make said time machine. But then you get to a point and you realize, oh, I've got to go this will never happen unless I go back and give myself the book. So you are, in fact, the loop, right? And so the book, likewise, all this Terminator sort of malarkey doesn't have any true origin. And it, it, this is where it gets stuck in this endless cycle of causality. That won't happen unless the future thing happens. So, man... This is where my mind starts rippling again. Oh, yeah, a hundred percent. And I become I become curious because you know guys like you and me, we are essentially what's the word? Hmm, lazy. And so <laughs> you know, and so once you realise that you're the dude that now needs to write the book, 
I'm I'm curious because I think the moment that you actually go, nah, like, oh, I just can't be bothered. Technically, the book should disappear, and whatever benefits that you have reaped, you know, it kind of should go like back to the way that it was <laughs> yeah. before. Um, then you're just on the couch again. That's right. And and yeah. I, I'm, you'll have to help me help my memory here, but I think yes, um, I think it's Bill and Ted's um, where they they sort of remind each other live. Ted, don't forget to wind your watch. Yeah, that's right. And then yeah. the act of them going, oh, yeah, I'll do it, it's actually then happened. So they've stashed something. That's right. So that is a cool, cool idea, provided, I suppose, you're not lazy like us. Because I'd be like, oh, yeah, man, we should uh, just chuck the AK-47 in the bush later on. And then, you know, cut to a few hours later and you and I are playing Xbox. And I'm like, hey, man, is this something we're supposed to do? And you're like, oh, I don't know. Pass me the Doritos, bro. That's what That's it, it was. Yeah. That'd be amazing. We should try it out in a minute. Like actually just say, gee, hey, P-Boss, can you put that big bag of money behind my shed, please? I'm going to go totally. out there and check in just a minute, man. Yeah. Right. Oh, dude. Hey, hey, G-Man, can you park a Tesla in my driveway? <laughs> Didn't know it was that easy if you could just create causal loops like that. It's, it's intense. It's annoying the crap out of me because I'm turning <laughs> around right now and I'm seeing a 2009 Corolla. <laughs> dude, you got to be careful what you wish for. Yeah, We had the wrong conversation, I tells you, damn it. But what a, what a fascinating idea that is, man. Yes. And again, it's just the moment, you know, where, where do we... Where do we now sort of start to dissect or do alien autopsies, you know, mm. paradoxy wise on these movies? But if we do, if we did, for example, keep it to the Terminator 2 yeah. or even the Terminator 1, mm-hmm. again, with this principle, it's just you can't get around the fact that he didn't, John Connor can't exist unless Kyle Reese goes back and, uh, you know, <laughs> with his mother. I can't get around that. Yeah. Again, where where in the hub of occurrence do you get on or get off? And I don't mean Kyle Reese. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you we do. Know he did. <laughs> hey. Yeah, oh. but I mean, and even just for John, imagine how uncomfortable that would be knowing this dude for a bunch of time sort of raising him a little bit as well because John Connor knew him as a younger fella, right? And going like, ah, oh, you're my guy. You better, Dad, you better go back in time and meet my mum. And yeah. But the other thing that's kind of always bothered me, how does Kyle Reese not have any knowledge at any point of copulating with Sarah Connor? Well, I mean, dude, he's got he's got Sarah's photo on him. Or is that his future? That's his future, hey. Yeah, he, he's he's an innocent guy in all of this. It's John that knows everything, you know. This is why it's super confusing, but he does have that photo of Sarah that was... So John has been rocking around fighting anabolic death robots yes. in the trenches, yeah. shoulder to shoulder with Kyle Reese, mm-hmm. knowing that Kyle Reese is his dad. That's and right. And knowing that Kyle Reese doesn't know that he is his father. Yes. And knowing that one day he will have to send Kyle Reese back to... <laughs> with his mum? Yeah. Yes, it's exactly Oh, I've just happened. gone cross-eyed. Yeah, I know. I know. But that's what I mean, how awkward that would be, sort of like doing it the whole, like as John, like, oh, it's coming up to the month. I've got to send you back to shag my mum. <laughs> you know, it's getting kind oh, of crazy. There'd have to be a yeah. moment where, you know, it's like, hey, d- uh, dad, can you, I mean, Kyle, can you. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Lieutenant Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's 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 really And they wild, don't look similar. Like, like it's nothing like that, is nah, there? We didn't think that far. No, nah, not really. And again, no, again, I do want to preface this by. 
this a little bit of the reality of James Cameron is a filmmaker. He's done okay. He's doing some TV. He's done some ads. He gets the opportunity to make this wonderful movie. He has no idea that it's going to have the cultural impact that it that it does. So of course it's not going to survive to you know jerk offs thirty years later trying to pick it apart with some harebrained science that you know one one <laughs> one right. guy accrued on a toilet, but. No, that's right. However, despite the paradigms, despite them, wow, man, I don't give a goddamn. We're talking about it today because of this. Exactly. The fact that you can pull it it apart. It never took me out of it. And I don't think, the point is, the first time I was watching it, it was just like, yeah, I wasn't, you know, it didn't take me out of it. It's a rollicking ride, man, isn't it? Now, look, we we do have another. another Oh, not another one. Oh, God, I know. I think we'll try and uncross those eyes in a second. We'll move on just a bit. But um, the predestination paradox is a thing, too, where the actual traveler, right, goes back in time to prevent something from happening, but inadvertently creates that event. Oh, here we go again. Right? Damn it. Yes, yes. And this is a 12 monkeys scenario where, you know, the world is all screwy. And it's like, well, we've got a chance to send someone back and fix it. But you go back to time, the world is fine. But your events and your actions inspire that event to actually take place. So, man, that's um, that's another mind frag. There's another example of that. Well, surely, right? it's a reasonably well-known one, in fact. Um, oh, I doubt that. <laughs> you know, and, and here we go. Here we go, casting asunder and, you know, tearing apart another bloody classic film. Um but the you know back to the future so we've got marty you know um traveling back to the 1950s meets the teenage versions of his parents lorraine and george and you know in the process of i guess he was coming off like a pervert or something and has a car accident he basically <laughs> creates an alternate to- uh, an alternate scenario where they are no longer going to get together they're no longer going to court and um of course you know come together no pun intended to create marty but again, and even even in later iterations of the Back to the Futures, it, it is again, it just comes down to that, that conundrum, that unanswered conundrum, which I'll now pose to you just to watch your eyes, you know, become like Marty Feldman. It, it, for both, for all the movies, the unanswered question is where it all begins. Mm. And mm. I mean, you have a go at that because I can't. Well, it's, it's no, <laughs> like once again, I mean, we talked about this last week at one point and it actually, I, I did seriously have to go and lie down shortly afterwards because yeah. like I really did, you know, it's, um, that's it's once again, one of these loops that just can't, can't actually happen is the point, you know, it's like, there's an episode of Futurama where Fry goes back in time and accidentally becomes his own grandpa. Yes. <laughs> How possible is that? But it's. Yeah, I can't really wrap my noodle around it. For a little while, it made a huge amount of sense, you know, in all honesty. Um, and he starts to fade away, but then that's sort of a variant of the grandfather paradox as well. So he wouldn't have been able to go back in time to do it if he didn't exist. So nothing is even possible. That shouldn't have even happened at all. And and to be honest with you, in terms of the um, storytelling, I loved the image of the fading away. Yeah, I, I, I you know, it was it was absolutely fantastic. Appearing in all the photos and stuff, like yeah, and even right. the ter- the terrible CGI that has not a- aged well at all when he holds up his own hand, you know, as he's uh, playing Chuck Berry tunes, and his own hand starts to disappear. But it's really tricky 
and again, this is I think what I, what I probably sent you to bed with with a headache last time is that I can't get around the idea that his parents do not recognize him. Dude, damn you, because I spent 15 minutes of that phone call floundering trying to justify it, and I hung up <laughs> and kind of like, nah, I'll work it out. And then, the worst thing for me was oh, I thought it was the 30-minute phone call. So clearly for <laughs> half, half of that, I was just talking to a, you know, a phone line. But, yep. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm open to people helping me out with this, but yeah. I, I, I purely can't I can't get I can't get round it, and uh, you know, I've had, I've had other people going, "Is this the hill you want to die on?" It's like I don't really want to die on a hill because um, yeah. I'm concerned about you know rolling down, but I can't make sense of it. They something must be familiar about him. Look, I'll do like a quick stab while it's fresh in my mind. There must be like because he, in fact, managed to eventually correct the timeline. So it was always it, it was going to happen again. He was going to be born. So perhaps there's some sort of phenomenon where the timeline is corrected. Those guys just don't remember those six months for some bloody reason. Don't remember that influential guy that gave George courage and the the guy that <laughs> you know Lorraine had a bloody crush on. Uh, maybe there's something about you know that timeline that he nearly screwed up dissolving himself completely, but he corrected it. Course is correct again. Everything's fine. But this is that exact paradox that you oh. just you just mentioned. So in going back, changing a timeline, but then correcting it, whatever that means, you've created living memories for his parents. His parents will of course, of course. have those living memories going forward, and. I don't know. I'd love to. I'd love to. I probably could dig a bit deeper in makings of or interviews, but geez, you'd be dirty, wouldn't you? If you were like that, you know, you're like Spielberg and you're two thirds of the way through shooting and some plucky assistant director comes up and says, Hey, by the way, why don't they bloody remember each other? You're like, Get your stuff. Get out. Get out. Yeah, exactly. No, and. It's impossible. Like, it it relies on some sort of, like, a, a physics or a phenomenon that we just don't bloody know about, right? So And, and don't get me wrong, like, uh, Crispin Glover is a weird unit. I, I, I reckon oh, there's, probably, there's probably a whole bunch of stuff that he doesn't remember. But, uh, <laughs> Especially in term- from that era, man. In terms of oh. George McFly. And so... Yeah. Like I said at the top of the program, kids listening at home, I'm sorry. I love these movies and I'm not, it doesn't, it's really not going to take me, take away any fond regard for them. But yeah, yeah. Well, these are fun well, water, water cooler conversations slash arguments to have. They really bloody are. And especially when there's no answers, which is what I like. And, you know, I'm not even attempting too many answers here today because I'll just, once, I, once again, I'll need a big old holiday and a big old sleep. But there's one final paradox that I'd like to mention and oh, use no. that. Nah, it's a real quick one. And we've discussed it before in relation to life in the cosmos. It's the Fermi paradox, right? Um, And this is the big one, I think, man. I think it is, dude, 100%. If time travel is a common ability now or in the near future, then where are all the time travelers, right? I mean, I don't necessarily enjoy Fermi. Uh, because he's a pessimistic dude and he kind of bothers me because he's so damn negative. He's like, yeah, it can't exist because I can't see it. It's like, all right, experiential, that makes sense. But absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. We've discussed this time and time again. Thank you, so, Mr. Sagan. <laughs> indeed, sir. Some sense in this house, please. Thank you very much. But he's kind of right, you know, in this regard. 
what's really lovely is, can, can I just tell you about this experiment here? It's like um, there's several experiments that have been carried out um, to entice future humans, right, who might be able to invent time travel to come back and demonstrate to the people in the present time. Right. So there's an event um, called uh, Perth's Destination Day, or there's one in MIT called the Time Travel Convention, and they publicize permanent advertisements of a meeting time and place for future time travelers to meet. Right? So in 1982, a group in Baltimore in Maryland, identifying itself as the Chrononauts, uh, hosted an event of this type welcoming visitors from the future. <laughs> My God. These experiments only stood the possibility of generating a positive result, demonstrating the existence of time travel. But as you probably have, bloody guests, they have all failed so far. And I think it's a hell of a thing. I love that idea. Like, when do we want time travel? It's irrelevant. <laughs> you know? It's quite... <laughs> it's relative. <laughs> it's when do relative. we need it? Now. What's now? Oh, I don't exactly. know. Exactly. Oh, let's all go lie down. We need to go to yeah. Tahiti and have a break. Well, it's it's kind of... I always... When when you and I sort of edge towards these sections of the discussions, it's... it's I like to think about, you know, our, our teacher from Dagobah. And I love, I love the scene... When effectively Luke says, "Look in, look into the future. Tell me what's going to happen," and it's just so poignant, you know. Yoda just stops and tries, and just comes with the response. Difficult to see. Always emotion is the future. And I, I loved that. I loved that idea. He's going well. There's stuff that's going to happen tomorrow that's going to influence what I see now. Um, you know, it's it's less of that whole, I guess, preordained fatalistic idea and saying that, you know, time and the interplay between the everlasting now and the you know, never arriving future is that there's, you know, there's some sliding doors. I, and I just hated mm. that movie, by the way. But- <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Um, no, I hated it. But um, it's, uh, <laughs> by the way, I'm I'm nominating worst time travel film ever, and it's the Lake House. There, good one. Yeah, damn that letterbox to hell, right? Was, yeah. And I'll, yeah. I'll ask you for the best at the end of this episode, Ooh. which we'll save. But the worst yep. is the Lake House, and I don't care yep. what people say. Yep, good, good. Um, so the thing that I also love to do as a thought experiment, and you know, I need you right now, my little buddy. I got you, fella. So with the whole idea of like, oh, where are they? I start to go, all right, Mr. Fermi, stick this firmly up your Fermi processor. <laughs> Maybe like UFOs are us. There's your time travelers, dudeski. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. maybe maybe some of this phenomenon, which we adore, um, and we've loosely sort of categorized in the high strangeness folder, Perhaps some of this could could account for, you know, because I get what I get what Fermi is suggesting, and you and I have talked about this ad nauseum, which is why we got so many written warnings in our previous jobs. But once time travel is on, it's on. Mm. It's so weird. Like, say for example, you invent you invent time travel next week. You're obviously going to go back in time into places that now either become my history or my living memory. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you go back and um, let's just say even a hundred years, because there's always those funny attempted time traveler photos, black and white yeah. photos of dudes, dude holding like, the camera in a crowd of people with totally, yeah. yeah, 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 like just flipping through his Tinder. Yeah, um, it's. <laughs> 
It's an interesting idea for me. The, the moment G-Man invents time travel, even if he steps into his time machine over the next 30 years multiple times, those are going to appear in my living history, some of which that I might be aware of, for example. And anything that G-Man changes or impacts becomes my living history from my textbooks or my living memory. And so that's the other thought experiment that freaks me out is the moment the first time traveler time travels and then dots along in history and lets people know that it's happened, do we just wake up with a living memory of time travel happening throughout time? We wake that's up like th- it's normal, dude. There's nothing That's what different. I mean. So it could have happened yesterday. And the fact that we have this potty is the result of some idiot going back and stepping on, you know, a dog's tail in South America. All that's of a what sudden, I mean. Somehow we're doing this potty. Yeah, exactly. But, but do I say, for example, seriously, thought experiment, you wonder why I never get anything done. <laughs> So if I wake up with the living memory of that on Thursday, do I not still have a vexatious living memory of like, I don't remember any of this stuff as of Wednesday, yeah, the yeah. previous? Oh. Well, totally. And that happens all the time. I mean, you can, it could actually be like super, super bloody common. You know what I mean? Like deja vu. Oh, this might be deja vu. It's like, oh, shit, I'm caught in this. Oh. Okay, no, maybe that didn't happen. Maybe so my that- further my further pontifications, right? And this is just Fermi's fault because I'm just I hate that idea of like I can't see it, so it's not real. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, well, maybe continuingly, continuously thought experimenting as I do, maybe that's who these men in black are. Maybe mm-hmm. they're either us from the future or they're time police or I mean time cop was kind of a cool idea. Crappy mm. movie, but kind of a cool idea. Yeah. So the moment G Man invents time travel, the powers that be also have to have time travel to regulate and control you know who can G Man yeah. spraying paradoxes everywhere. That's and I would. I know. I, I know you would I'd hose down whole villages. I know. Like, I would love that, you know. I know. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like, you know, the, the film, um, you bring that up, uh, like the living memory idea, and Dark City's a pretty rad notion as well. Yeah. Every night, like these dudes come into your house and insert memories into your head. So you wake up and who you were yesterday is not who you are today. And vastly, you know, crazy scales, like a dude's a cop, and then the next day he wakes up an opera singer or something. You know, it's sort of – and he's never remembered being a cop. It's – oh, man, it's flaying my mind again, you know. Yeah, it's like yeah, shit. Yeah. You know, it's, we do it in fo- it's fifteen minute increments normally when we have a phone conversation, but we've been sitting here an hour now. You <laughs> know, seriously. Even like you know, prodding the idea of because there were aspects of the movie Men in Black that I really did like. Um, yeah, they didn't go so much more the time travel idea. They were more the interstellar police, the yeah. the vanguards of Earth, if you will. But you know what I mean? I yeah. wonder. It just makes me wonder. Now, the, the whole idea is once I start going down this thought experiment, it, I don't know, it, it starts to put high strangeness, several topics of high strangeness, at least next to the water cooler for consideration. You know, mm. even, even some of the craziest stuff like your Skinwalker Ranches and all that sort of stuff. Mm. If, you've got, if you've got time travel... Um, gee, man, anything's on. And I think where we're going to head soon is with time travel, potentially comes the idea or the concept of interdimensionality, portals, Mm -hmm. wormholes. Oh, boy. Dude, this is 100%. I think we take that slippery slope now. What do you, because it's pertinent, I think. 
Is that all right? It's absolutely. Like, Someone get me a sandwich. All right. Get this man okay. a pastrami and rye. Thank you very much. Stat. <laughs> now, well, that's it, dude. Interdimensionality, right? Extra dimensions. This is what, this is half the thing. Like, you can actually go, no, I, mean, I did it at the start. I tried to do it. You know, I said, let's, you know, but he might have gone to another dimension. Like, that's easy, right, to say that. But the notion of other dimensions are absolutely a thing, brah. Like, the theory of general relativity accounts for four. So we know what all those dimensions are, yeah? Height, width, length, and space-time being the fourth one. Um, But this is all supported mathematically, basically, really, really logically. String theory, on the other hand, turns this shit on its head and dials it up to 11. In particular, bosonic string theory requires that there be 26 different dimensions to be mathematically sound, and it's relatively bloody sound. Now, I don't want to disappear into string theory too much because it's it's not really where we want to go, but that brings up the idea of dimensions, my it guy. Does. And that's the thing. That's what we're talking about. Whether they be literal, physical, infinite dimensions, like, you know, Rick and Morty style sort of thing, where you can pop in and out and phase and blah, blah, blah. Oh, jeez, Rick. But so that isn't necessarily impossible. That's... It's relatively mathematically sound in some sort of circles, right? And I love it. I, I, I concur. Like, you, you sort of – you hear some serious thinkers go, look, the maths checks out. Yeah. Um, let alone, you know, gee whiz, you, you, you start to bring in the quantum realm. You start to look at – you know, seriously, you look at these other cosmologies, religions, and thought tanks, you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, um, and there's – the idea of interdimensionality written in there. And, oh, gosh. And so bending space-time, man, yeah. bending space-time, yep. like that's apparently on the table. Yep. That wasn't a thing when I was a kid, but apparently that's something we're doing now. <laughs> yeah. But look, even Christianity, my brother, like, dude, heaven and hell, two separate dimensions to the planet Earth. Like, yeah. they even mention yeah. They just don't bother calling it, well, it's dimensions. Could very well be other dimensions, you know. I, I love yeah. that idea. Yeah. And I mean, I tend to I tend to get a little excited once we start to throw, um, you know, black holes Ooh. in in into the mix. Um, this is the hole this, section. This is the hole. We're going to talk about uh, holes. Two sorts of holes well, today. Well, that's that's right. And I mean, you know, we we look at we look at the idea, and uh, it excited me a few years ago when literally we come back with our first images of a black hole mm. you know in uh, in in the messier eight messier 87 galaxy 55 million light years away brother um god and, it's that far. you know <laughs> i mean come on like even even being able to photograph this and by the way the photographs look trippy af mm-hmm. um and sitting there sort of you know it's it's been christened pawehi which is a hawaiian phrase referring to an embellished dark source of in unending creation <laughs> oh i love um, the creation not destruction i like that good angle i know man and look again i'm sorry but i'm going to be reductive and try to you know do an autopsy on this remarkable event through the lens of 20th and 21st century filmmaking <laughs> the, the perfect God, lens. <laughs> I, I, I am such a bogan but look I, I do think of i do think of the uh, seminal 
movie The Black Hole, Disney movie in 1979. Just, you know, not great, not an awesome movie, but, you know, started the idea. Um, I do think of the movie A Brief History of Time from 1992. And um, it would be remiss of us not to say that, you know, perhaps no single scientist shaped more of our contemporary thought and fascination, particularly with um, black holes, than theoretical physicist Stephen Hawking. Mm. Um, the hawk, who, you know, the hawk man, right? <laughs> you know, this this guy talking about black holes, quantum mechanics, radiation, relativity, you know, all neatly packed into the bestseller from '88, a brief history of time from the Big Bang to black holes. So, look, a few years later, um, and and you know, er, a guy called Errol Morris, who actually directed the Thin. Blue Line, um, released this docu- documentary film adaptation of the book. And I've got to say, man, it made the book more obsess- accessible mm. to me. Um, and it's got interviews with Stephen Hawking and, you know, it just it's just wonderful. So, look, if you want to get you some black holes um, law that's probably a little bit more useful than G-Man's toilet or my, you know, ranting, that's a wonderful film. Um I always do think about the fact that Stephen Hawking objected when we were sending out uh, Voyager, Voyager 1 and 2. It's always in my mind that arguably one of the smartest guys we've ever had was like going, don't do it. Don't send that out. Don't tell them we're here. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, no, seriously. Yeah, and we wrote like, a map oh. on it too. It was like, this is exactly where we are. This is what we look like. <laughs> this is where we'll be. Um, yeah, not good. Yeah. But anyway, and look, dude, Event Horizon. Oh, 1997. Oh, love that. This this divides our community, but um, I love that movie. Me too, man. It, 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 and it's and it's and it's you know a bit of a segue here. So the fact that we can see um, the black hole, um, Messier 87, in large part was because of a network of radio antennas known as the you know Event Horizon Telescope. Um, and the name has obviously a logical tie to its target. The event horizon is, quote-unquote, the edge of a black hole, the point of no return. Um, yeah, and I mean, the, a New York Times reporter notes that beyond the event horizon, not even light can escape the black hole's gravitational pull. Um, and look, you know, Paul, Paul W.S. Anderson's movie The Event Horizon Man I thought it was so creative. I mean, it really is. It really is just suggesting. Okay, what happens if you, you know, catch a catch a wormhole through to another dimension that just happens to be hell? Yes, totally right. And that's actually just to um, briefly di- divert. That is the coolest representation of the Australian flag I think I've ever seen, which is on Sam Neill's international outfit, and it's, as we know, the Southern Cross. But instead of the Union Jack, get the hell out of there! It's got the Aboriginal flag tucked in there. I cool know. looking flag, bro. Cool looking flag. That's a flag. That's a flag. Um, yeah, it's it, it's very interesting movie. And I mean, that's what made Doom very cool while I'm just segueing again. What, I'll see your segue and raise. Yeah, the whole idea of going, well, we've opened a portal to hell. Oh, exactly. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. We're in we're in space. Yep. And we found hell. And the other look, the other one, the other one that I guess, oh gee, and this is this is so paradoxy. It's so paradoxy <laughs> right now. Go on, paradox. Um oh God. Is uh 2009's Star Trek, JJ Abrams reboot, you know. 
Uh, Nero, Eric Banner's character, the Romulan villain of the film, uses the principles of the black hole for nefarious things, mm. creates an artificial black hole out of quote-unquote red matter to destroy the planet Vulcan. That's bad enough, but then, you know, a real black hole <laughs> creates a time warp that sends Spock back in time to help Captain Kirk and his own younger self try to stop Nero. I mean... Yeah, that one. Oh, that one's crazy. That's yeah. That's Star Trek's never been afraid of doing it. Hey, like I think it was um, the original series for film Star Trek Four. It was after the search for Spock that the voyage home. They go to Earth in the eighties, and because there's a probe in the future, right? That's making this horrible noise and breaking everything on the future planet. And they go back in the past and they realize that you know this probe had appeared. Millennia before the eighties, and it was well. It was trying to talk to the whales. It was making these whale sounds. So if you hear this probe sound underneath the ocean, it's making whale songs. It's a wild yeah. idea. Yeah, really kind, of lovely man. But makes me makes me wonder about that. You know, weird, nefarious, unidentified satellite called the Dark Knight that's been apparently you know oh, in our history for yeah. years and years and that's years. That's a but real thing. We won't get you started. But yeah, check it out if you are interested. Mildly out there. But the whole the whole thing is then. So Spock, as in Leonard Nimoy's Spock, has to have a living memory of Zachary Quinto's Spock's life forward up to his, does he not? He has to. That's, once again, it's our paradox. Like, he must, but it's Spock. He's very cagey about certain stuff. He probably just wouldn't openly divulge, or, you know, that information. It's probably totally. one of those things. So totally. I can maybe explain that one away. But And he's yeah. probably sitting there going, sitting there going, oh, you know, paradox warning himself. Yeah. I do concur that he's probably the one character that has the gravitas and the intellect to go, wow, that happened. Okay. That's right. Yes, exactly. I think you're absolutely right. Um, and they they do, they do play with that in the plot because it is implied that he remembers it yeah. and it is implied that he's taking appropriate action, I think. But mm. it's still not still not neatly neatly no. sort of packaged together. But, um, it was fan service so we could see Leonard Nimoy, basically. That was the whole point, I think, wasn't it? And I bloody loved it. So the whole, so the whole point that I guess that we're trying to get to as well is, you know, is time affected by black holes? And apparently, yes, it is. So, well, and if it is, if it is, what what <laughs> what happens, and what does it do? Yeah, oh, but you God. see, that's the interesting thing. And hundred percent, you know, black holes affect time. I mean, it's a singularity; nothing escapes from here. This is time, light, etc. So, yeah. as we know, we discussed earlier with gravity um, as a massive black hole being at gravity well, basically. So, you know, time slows for you considerably when you're going that fast near such a heavy object. It absolutely has to. So this blends nicely with another hole. Can we talk about another yes. hole? Yes. Please, please talk now about it. We, we call this one the uh, <clears throat> the wormhole or the Einstein-Rosen bridge. Um, oh, God. And it's speculative at best, right? But we think that black holes have something to do with this, potentially, yeah? Um, and it's absolutely amazing. So a wormhole is a path through space-time, basically, mm. from one point precisely to another point precisely. And if they, in fact, exist, um, like, naturally, there is no way of knowing where you're going to turn up if you rock through that. This is why most films, like this Farscape and a couple of others that bring in wormholes, and it's very precise. You know exactly where you're going. You bend time. It's not you traveling. You literally bend time around you so you can you 
appear in the one so spot. You can, and so you can traverse. That's right. Raucous distances. Exactly. Yeah. And so at one point, they exactly, you know, exist in the same spot at the same time. It's, oh, it bends my mind a little bit. But And this, this was explored a lot in... Stargate, particularly oh, in yeah. the series. Oh, they you know, are SG One, Atlantis. Yeah. yeah, exactly, bro. Exactly. Um, General relativity, su- relativity. Sorry, supports the theory completely, but there is no actual bloody evidence. But what I love is that a lot of scientists postulate that wormholes are actually merely projections of the fourth spatial dimension that we can't see because we are three-dimensional. This is Damn it. beyond us, you know. It's similar to how a two-dimensional being could only experience a part or two parts of the three dimensions. And if we are in 4D yes. space, then we can't actually, you know, experience the fourth dimension. But there might be little hints of it. You know, I see an edge or whatever, you know. It's, it's, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. But an interesting thing too, an interesting part of the theory is that um, based on what we do know about time slowing down near um, something of massive gravity or you going incredibly fast, if a wormhole... And and and, and time being influenced by speed and energy, 100%. yes. And if this wormhole had an opening or an exit near a neutron star, which is super bloody heavy, or a black hole itself, then time would be vastly different itself between the starting point and the ending point. So that is the theory of how travelling back in time is actually possible from what we know through relativity. So that's like the only way we know we can actually probably, potentially, (laughs) I don't want to say probably, go back in time, is if that phenomenon is occurring. Uh, It's got to be happening somewhere out there, man, but, you know, hard to know, isn't it? Like, impossible, in fact, I believe we should say. Yeah, I mean, that whole, this this is what I quite enjoyed about Interstellar. I mean... I enjoyed Interstellar a lot more than I thought I would in that shit got crazy, you know, like all bet, all bets were sort of off in terms of, you know, there was, there was a dimension that he was in that kind of looked like an Escher painting, yeah, you know, that was like cool. it was, it was, you know, and he was sort of experiencing, he was, he was able to sort of experience his, daughter's present or near past as, as he was experiencing his now and all that sort of stuff. Um, typical Christopher Nolan, like he's just, he's, he's nothing if not diligent. Yes. Um, and some of those ideas I, I felt like were just extremely interesting. And, and like you said, the, I guess the whole idea of time just passing, you know, so differently was probably used as more of a plot device for risk in mm. that movie. But um, a really interesting idea of wormholes, time travel, relativity. Um, and what I thought it was getting at, and I don't know, I don't know, you know, if this resonates with you, but if we're not able to perceive, perceive certain dimensions, right, I'm assuming that that is on two levels. Number one, it's with our senses, but number two, it's cognitive. Oh, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? If I ask you to envisage forever, eternity, you just can't. Mm. It's just like it's just like you're on this unceasing loop of something traveling out further and further and further. Yeah. You know, if I if I asked you to conceive infinity, it's just it's just hard. We don't we don't have the uh, the, the symbology, I guess. No. Uh, Points of reference, <laughs> you know, we don't. And so that's what I thought was really cool about this movie because I felt like that's what he was trying to get at. He was, 
you know, McConaughey's character was traversing space, time, and dimensionality that he had his senses and his perception and his cognition could not work together yeah. to get any rational construct. Um, and there, and therein, we come to the next category, which I think is very, very interesting and worth worth talking about. And again. We've got no idea, but something like an ayahuasca journey or DMT mm. or the Carlos Castanadian <laughs> sort of theory of 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 using um, psychedelics to transcend dimensionality. And look, as a shaman would sort of say, it's it allows perhaps it's not necessarily about going anywhere, but it's it allows us to have some cognition perception. Yes. An awareness yes. of interdimensionality. I mean, holy hell's bells, bro. Oh, dude. Um, it's a hell of a topic, isn't it? It's almost a program unto itself, very realistically, as many of our sort of um, inspirers would uh, have done so in, in the past as well that we take great reverence for. But it, it's a phenomenal experience. If anyone's ever experienced an interdimensional um synthetic <laughs> assimilation into their body it's everyone comes out with a similar experience of time dilation in a way you experience time in that situation completely differently as you would normally it's you've been in this moment forever and not at all all at once it's the most phenomenal phenomenal feeling and i just can't recommend it highly enough for and every the complete human. And the complete dissolution of ego and thus a sense of self. Yeah. Yep. And and many a many a wisdom tradition would suggest that in the dissolution of the ego, the dissolution of sense of self allows the transportation interdimensionally. Indeed. Um, you know, you get to go there, but please don't take these bags that you call you because <laughs> yeah. You won't get through you won't get you won't through get customs. through customs. <laughs> yeah. And it's a little bit like, I suppose like the Terminator theory of time travel is like, sorry mate, can't take your clothes. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll have to pinch yeah. pants from a hobo and shoes from a department store. So good luck with that. So <laughs> And you know, you probably kill Bill Paxton and a couple of his mates too. Yeah. <laughs> nice night for a walk. Wash day tomorrow. Nothing clean, right? <laughs> Nothing clean, right? Hey, I think this guy's a couple cans short of a six-pack. You're close. Give them to me now. Uh, uh, yeah, it's um, you know, it's worth it. I'm glad we put it on our list of considerations. The yes. idea of interdimensionality through, um, you know, better living through chemistry. Indeed, sir. Indeed, especially naturally acquired DMT or the old magic mushroom variety unbelievable way of traversing into another dimension and it's honestly like like looking through another window it's just phenomenal and it is time travel because we've all done that on a sunday and woken up on a wednesday let's you know haven't let's we, be honest haven't we with a massive beard and a dog you don't know where it's come from Lee. now i am excited because i'm seeing some other items on this list of consideration my friend um right. what do you see well i i am seeing and i know you love this and, and it's perhaps one of your favorite theories and that is chaos theory yeah um yeah chaos theory is exhausting um and <laughs> Well, it is. It's, it bloody is. And, and the natural order of things, um, chaos is a desired effect across the cosmos. It just is. I mean, how 
gold is formed is by supernova nucleosynthesis and can only form in the explosion of a dying star. Yes. So this is massively violent and massively chaotic where the molecules, the literal molecules are working their shit out again. And air going everywhere. They don't really know what's happening. Platinum's another element like that, yeah. It's not naturally terrestrially occurring. No, it's phenomenal stuff, you know. Um, But it's this apparent randomness, right? It's an this. It's weird. The apparent randomness is like it's consistent. So the chaos is consistent. So it's almost order in a way. Order is chaos in such a weird fashion. But it's the randomness of chaotic, complex systems, and there are lots of interconnectedness, constant feedback loops, and this is like where fractals all come in too, because this seemingly random formations, but constantly repeating, and. It's just the behavior of things, my man, you know, and a a really good example of um, that a human mind can understand uh, chaos by is just the prediction of the humble weather of planet Earth. You know, humans have gotten very good at prediction and being able to see what they think is going to happen about this, but nothing in such a dynamic system as this is ever certain. So, you know, and everyone blames the weather guys, like, oh, I said it was going to be clear, but it rained. I'm like, yeah, well, he's not a soothsayer, and he's not God, so cut him some slack. He did his best, all right, trying to understand and quantify a chaotic system. And so, such a dynamic system, there are so many factors that can influence it, right? And that makes the pure and perfect um, prediction almost impossible. But so do you know what I mean in that regard that the chaos is going to be consistent? So that's almost, in fact, order. Look, what, what I honestly, what I take from that is I actually take a lot of relief from that. I take it as, and again, this is a terribly reductive statement. I take it as, look, shit happens. And if shit happens, <laughs> yeah. if shit can happen, it will it almost it almost gives me permission to be confused by the world to be okay with my confusion to be you know less egoically human and more more of a participant in what's going on and mm. when i turn it towards time travel <laughs> it's like you know what it's just a part of that rich mosaic of shit happening and it's okay to be confused by it but it's happening yes but it's confusing yeah. Um, yep. and now go back to bed. You know, it's one, of, it's one of those things where, yeah, chaos theory resonates with me for those very reasons. And it's, it's just like, it's almost a little slap. It's a bit of a slap to this human ego that we have of going, mm, mm. this thing called a universe doesn't really need you guys. It mm-hmm. can do its thing. Um, it's been doing it since cocky was an egg and it'll be doing it you know, until and beyond that mountain down there is sand. So participate in it, ponder it, but understand it? Hmm, don't know. Mm. And maybe don't let your quest for understanding or quantification get in the way of your participation. And maybe well maybe the participation mm. is more the thing. You know what I mean? Indeed, I like that. Yeah, and yes, I do. And I really like the way you said that. And it's got a, a whole, like, the human quality behind it is letting a whole lot of stuff that you can't help bother you. And it comes with this a let it go notion where, yes. sorry, you are, in fact, not completely in control of this, and you never have been. No. So just let it go, man, and just put your arms out and float in that river, and good luck to you. You know, that's the, that sort of element to it, hey? Like, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, man. <laughs> 
So, like, following just ever so slightly after our beautiful notions of the human condition there, um, on chaos theory, what's really important to understand, and this is where a few holes will appear in some of the time travel paradoxes, where that really means they can't be true, is thermodynamics, in particular the second law. And that is the uh, basically the equilibrium of uh. things and the state of matter. And mostly is entropy, is what I'd like to just briefly talk about. And high entropy is the natural state of of where things would like to be, molecules, I mean. And everything is trying to get back to its simplest state all the time. At every given moment, it's trying to break down to its most basic form, and that is molecularly quite simple. Akin to a sandcastle that some kids built on the beach has low entropy because it's formed. It's got a state of union in its design, whereas what it wants to do is be a pile of sand and break down to its individual bits Mm. as quickly as possible. Mm. And likewise with a campfire, a solid bit of wood burning, turning into its state that it wants to be in, which would be ash, gas, and coal. It's that simple. So things do want to break down from order into what we perceive as chaos, which is nothing is, you know, solid or made of things. It's really, yeah, I love it. I love it. So that's thermodynamics, and that sort of can explain a whole lot of interesting things. So where that causal loop happens, you know that book we talked about that, you know, you received, made the time machine doing this, inside a causal loop, the thermodynamics law is still in existence. So entropy is still a thing. So in theory, despite the amount of times that this actual loop has happened over and over and over again. You've written the book, you've given it to yourself, you've made the time machine, then you've gone back and given it to yourself. That happening infinitely, the book breaks down. It has to break down. So that one, yeah, that's the bootstrap. And that's such a paradox. It's fun to think on, but yeah, it's actually never, ever going to work. And it's almost suggesting to me that the the state the state of chaos or the state of flux is a self-correcting system it's, mm. And it's a system that doesn't want to be um, stagnant. It's a system that wants to be changing, flowing, blah, blah, blah. And and I guess what I'm hearing there is what, what comes up for me is, you know, maybe the timelines want to try to correct themselves if there's a paradox, but it's a, it's a really it's a really tough one, isn't there? But it almost suggests that the natural state or the natural order, is chaos. And that to me sounds a lot like Taoism in terms of like saying there's no creation without destruction. Sorry, mm-hmm. you just can't have it. Um, you know, there's no light without dark. There's no technically there's 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 no good without evil. Um yeah. it's a it's a very, very interesting idea and suggests to me Okay, well, maybe maybe paradoxy timelines have a natural entropy that will correct. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I know. Still, yeah, it still doesn't get around Marty's parents not knowing. <laughs> no, yes, it bloody doesn't, does it? And so there, yeah, there's a real problem. And chaos to the feeble human mind sounds terrifying. It sounds horrible, but you let it go. It, when you notice the natural state of things, that's where it wants to be. Yeah, yeah. It's quite. Yeah. It's, there's a comfort somewhat, if you wish to think that. I, I, I like Absolutely. That. I don't have to. Yeah. Screw you, Jordan Peterson. I don't have to clean up my room. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not making my bed. Yeah. <laughs> clean your room, eh? Eh? Make your bed, man. You're a better person who, for it. Who are you to tell somebody else how to live if you can clean your room? <laughs> Look, moving on. 
I want to talk about a self-consistency principle, and you discussed and brought this to my attention last week, and it is interesting as hell. Now, whether or not it is a balm to solve some of these paradoxes will, you know, will unfold. However, I think it's a good place to start to wind up because, you know, we're throwing a lot of paradoxes out there. Is G-Man, is the self-consistency principle a solution? I wonder. Pretentially. What I mean by that is potentially. <laughs> yeah, it's a really interesting little thing that I, I grasped on it and I loved it. And I'm running with it forever now and I really enjoy this. And Which is um, good because you don't in- exercise that much and it's it's encouraging I to see. I don't exercise at all, yeah. at yeah. all. But Novikov is a fella. He's a, he was a real guy. Novikov and his self-consistency principle. And it's super interesting. The principle, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from this if you don't. Please. It's not actually locked away in my head. But it's a principle that suggests that even uh, that an event exists that would cause a paradox or any potential divergence to the past, then the probability of that is absolute zero. Wow. That's an impossibility. So it's impossible to create paradox what, completely. What, what? So this is verbatim. Uh, according to the consistency conjecture, any complex interpersonal interactions must work themselves out self-consistently so that there is no paradox. That is is the resolution. This means, if taken literally, that if time machines exist, there can be no free will. You cannot will yourself to kill your younger self if you travel back through time. You can coexist, take yourself out for a beer, celebrate your birthday together, but somehow circumstances will dictate that you cannot behave in a way that leads to a paradox in time. Novikov supports this point of view with another argument. Physics already restricts your free will every single day. You may will yourself to fly through a wall, uh, but gravity and condensed matter, physics, dictate that you cannot. Why, Novikov asks, is the consistency restriction placed on a time traveler any different? Good bloody point, Novikov. Good bloody So that's really interesting, right? Like, there's a lot to take there. And it's heavy listening and heavy reading but basically you can't change stuff in the past because you just bloody can't it's not the way things work so there is no way that you could go back and kill your grandpa absolutely not because it would change things you just can't do it even if you wanted to you go up and go I'm going to kill my grandpa but there'd be something ah you can't get your hand out to strangle him or something you know there was something that would stop you from doing it so time seems according to Novikov has a self consistency meaning that it will preserve itself in whatever way happens. So perhaps you do go back in time to kill your grandfather and one of those comical sort of hundred pound weights falls from a building and knocks you on the, the old uh, you the know? Acme anvil. It says Acme. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. And there's a little meep meep right next to you. Missed me. Sucker. Totally. Got you. So yeah, I love that idea that in fact, despite you wanting to, or even willing it to happen, you would not be allowed to. The universe has a way of maintaining its current direction so you can't influence it in such a fashion love that idea love it oh look i love part of it i dislike another part of it because it's it's got one foot in the hole there is no free will idea and i can't party with that i don't like that i'm not saying that it is not necessarily scientifically or physiologically or biologically valid i mean i get it um, it's just my solid little egoic sense of self that rallies against it. 
the whole idea, you know, and, and I'm again just quoting, if taken literally, that if a time machine exists, there can be no free will. That's that's a that's a super tricky one for me. I like the idea of potentially. Uh, see, Novikov was a bit tricky. In, on one hand, Novikov didn't necessarily believe in free will, but on the other hand, Novikov was quite liberal in assigning a certain intelligence to the universe, which again, I, mm-hmm. which again, I can party with too. But it's a tricky one. It's it's almost saying that we as the little minions have no free will, and however you label an intelligent universe, all the control and the fatalistic sort of um, ideas are located there. So that that is a tricky one. Um, but it is an interesting idea. You cannot will yourself to kill your younger self if you travel back in time. I mean, that's an absolute tricky one, and there's a paradox right there. And and again, it's yeah. another cyclical paradox. If you travel back yes. in time, kill yourself, then you never existed forward in time to be able to travel back. Oh. So either A, you can't do it, or B, um, you did it and you never existed. In the first That's place. right. So, but the anvil. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the the question that I ask straight away from that is, what's the origin of the anvil? And that's just feels like luck. That's But if it, it consistent, but it's not luck if you consistently can't do it. There has to be some sort of ah, yes. intelligence assigned within, and then, dude. But maybe that anvil was always there, and it just fell on no one. But because you went and did this, you were in that right spot, and it was just. That was it. Sorry, it's buddy. a tough. It's know, a tough one because it bumps. It bumps up against chaos theory. It can't. It can't seem to coexist in a world where we have chaos theory. Then, because yeah, because yeah. the idea of saying you do not have free will and an intelligent system will stop you from exerting your free will is very very much. I don't know, man. Yes, it's not exactly oh, chaos. <laughs> no, no, then it's not, is it? But yeah, that's the thing. But I love the idea. I really love the idea of oh. you know the universe knowing or somehow like you know or maybe it's not even it might not even be intelligence, man. It might just be it's just an impossibility, as you said. Like you can will yourself to throw yourself through a concrete wall, but you can't. There's physics behind that, so you can't do it. So maybe it's a physics problem. You know? Super tricky, my friend. Super, super oh, tricky. Man. Hyper amazing to talk on, is it not? Now, time travel done well, my friend. Um, I, I'm still glad to see that Back to the Future makes this list. Um, oh, you know, yeah, it has to, man. It's still got some cool ideas. It. I feel as if time travel movies and films, Not there's not one singular one that's got it all right. It's just... Each presents a novel little spin on that whole idea. Um, running down the list here, it's very difficult for me not to cite Doctor Who and his wonderful, beloved time travel vehicle being the TARDIS. As mm. one of the most acceptable paradox-proof um iterations of time travel again it's probably a load of bollocks but the TARDIS of course stands for time and relative dimension in space and is in fact a organic living uh, entity that is connected to the time space continuum so thus we get around the whole idea of the time machine that's built in 1950 can go forward in time but never back before 1950 because it doesn't exist 
So mm-hmm. um, that's one. The the whole Doctor Who universe cosmology, uh, for me, I would vote it as probably the most noteworthy or the most skillful iteration of time travel. Um, we've put down the one. We mentioned that earlier. Primer. That's interesting. That's a fantastic little uh, indie film made by couple of guys. I know. And it's a really humble, humble time travel film. And it's sort of got more science behind it somehow. It actually feels like it's a little bit more achievable. I think one of them because one of them limited. One of them was a mathematician and I think it was made for a I think it was made for a budget of like seven grand. I'd believe it, man. Yeah. It looks like it's made for seven grand. It's in like a shipping container and that's sort of it. Uh, <laughs> but just a great little premise, you know, really lovely thing. So if you haven't seen that, get on primer. Out now there, of course guys. you've put down Terminator and that that yeah, was always so. gonna happen. And again, happy man. Yeah, I'm I'm super happy. Again, put down put down the clipboard, pick up the popcorn, shut up. Exactly. Now the time machine, is that which which version is that, my friend? Is that the our little mate Guy Pierce's kind of remakey version? Yeah, I suppose. I mean it's pretty it's close enough to the original though, isn't it, in a way. I liked it. So, I liked it. I yeah. I like our guy. Um I like the idea of like that's what I like about Back to the Future 2, probably more so as well in regards. I like going through, forwards through time, my dude. And that's, I don't know, it feels a bit more interesting to me anyway. I don't, I'm bored with all the paradoxes that can happen with changing the past. I'd rather come from the past, going to the future. Feels more interesting. Well, you've read my mind. You know me. I'm curious. I've got questions for you to finish up with. Uh, Cloud Atlas. Wow. Right, yeah. Now, I did throw that in there. It's not specifically a time travel film itself but you as the viewer or the reader are the time traveler you see the similarities and same stories and same archetypal characters across so many so many timelines it's it's just gorgeous this film i just love it and that was a wachowski film for those that haven't seen it, it goes for nearly three hours it's pretty long but it's very interesting seeing all of the actors, Tom Hanks and um, and Jim Broadbent and yes. these other dudes playing different characters kind of the same way in different timelines from, you know, Neo Soul in 21 something or other. And it's just, yeah, it's a rollicking ride and it's, it's a love story. It's actually quite a good love story. Super so, creative. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I'm going to add one more to that list. And for me, it's actually going to be Interstellar. The more I've rewatched that and the more I look at that, I just think very interesting ideas, prodding that idea of, interdimensionality and we can't actually we don't have the faculties to process it <laughs> um no. you know really really wonderful now to finish up and to and to bring the the crazy bus home and i didn't those that those that are listening in the future by the way how is it is it good is it still good great um are you a robot if you are a robot uh please don't go back in time and kill yeah identify which ones which of these frames has a car ah, good luck damn it. it um all right, so I haven't I haven't warned you about this question, G Man. If you could, t- okay, three three part question. Your great your greatest time travel movie, and I think I know the answer, but it's Terminator. But, yeah. Three part Terminator. three part question. Oh, sorry, right. Jeez, take your riddle in. Okay, so greatest time travel movie and a pontification as to why any event, past, future that you could travel to, just one. What would it be? And three, what would your time preferred time travel method be to see that one event? Go. 
Mm, good one. All right. It's Terminator 2. Paradoxes aside, because it's damn interesting and it's a lot of fun, and it introduced me to paradoxes. So thank you very much. I would go to the deep, 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 deep future, my guy. I want to see where we are. Give give us 5,000 years. Let's do that. I want to go to 7,000 and 22. Okay. I want to see what's going on there. I want to see if the humans have sort of worked it out or what that might be. I want to see interstellar travel. I want to know if that's a thing. I want to know what society might look like in 5,000 years and if we have aliens living amongst us finally. We're actually a star-faring populace or if we've evolved in some peculiar way because we spend so much time on the screens, right? We don't need to look off into the distance anymore. We don't need big eyes. We might have tiny little squinty little squinters. Who knows? I want to see what happens to the human race in the future. That's what. And it would definitely be in maybe uh, the TARDIS is pretty rad because it's massive on the inside, but anything comfortable, you know? I know you're probably traveling instantly, perhaps, but I want to be in comfort. I don't want to be shot into the future naked and cold, like just coming through a portal, like Terminator, you know? I don't want that. No, no. So, gee, yeah, all right, man. I like. Do you have a rebuttal for those three-part questions? I assume you might. Yeah, for me, gee whiz, nostalgia-wise, time travel, best time travel movie for for me, nostalgia points go to Back to the Future. Um, however, contemporary runner-up for me is actually Interstellar. Difficult to separate the two. I would find it very, very difficult not to go back in history and trace, you know, a one, perhaps Buddha or Jesus. I'd find it really difficult not to go back to, a, a, you know, a, a, a purported ascended master and just go, dude, A, help me out. And, <laughs> yeah. and B, what is your actual message? Um, and AMN, my preferred vehicle for with with again honourable mention being just the dinosaurs. <laughs> I'd go back to the dinosaurs, walk out in a T Rex, and just snap me in half. So um, I can't be yep. trusted there. But um, and my preferred vehicle undoubtedly is the TARDIS because I hundred percent I know I I can get home. That's exactly right. Exactly. I just want to do a quick honourable mention to what I just remembered is the Prisoner of Azkaban has some of the best time travel in it of all time as well. There, there are no paradoxes in that, and everyone exists all at once in the same timeline. And it's just, it's a, if you haven't seen it or read it, that outside of just being Harry Potter canon is a fantastic little time travel adventure. My other so, temptation, and I, and I ask this to you as well, my other temptation mm. would be potentially to go back and just... Give myself a couple of uh, little pointers at a pivotal point in my life, maybe. But that opens a tin of worms because it's like, also, I want you to invest in this little company called Amazon and have a look at Apple. Apple's going to be pretty good too. So, yeah. 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 And then you accidentally go and buy a crate of apples, didn't really understand what you're talking about. Like, are you talking about apples? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I feel sick. I invested in apples. Yeah. (laughs) But then you've created a paradox, man, you know, then you wouldn't have done it because you, in the future, when you go back, you're all happy and. Yeah. I need to be in the now. I need to be in the now, all poor and miserable. I get it. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Perfect. (laughs) But I love it. Uh, P Boss, thanks for such a rollicking. Brain rippling after well, we just traveled today. through it's time together. You know, this last uh, last we hour did. and a half or so. We One, did. 
That's not too bad. Not too bad, actually. Not too bad. Um, all the players at home, I hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. And um, there's going to be more to come. So hit us up on the Facebooks and uh, the man Candidate at gmail.com will have us uh, answering your many questions. And I look forward to answering them within three to four years. Yeah. And, and in Mate. addition, if we could ask you, we approach you cap in hand. Uh, and ask you if you could to rate and comment on whatever portal you're scrying us through. So Spotify's and Apple's and things. We don't want you to run down to the pub and just write Manchildian, you know, candidate rocks and then piss on the fence. But I'm not going to... On the toilet wall. Lock your hobbies. (laughs) In fact, (laughs) guerrilla marketing may work. But it would be wonderful because we really want to bring more people to the party and it would be wonderful if you could rate and comment through whatever Orify you could do that. That would be lovely. I second that. Thank you very much, everybody. I really would appreciate that. And um, we're going to catch you next time. This has been an absolute rollicking adventure. Paradoxes, the Terminator, good times, hanging out with friends. What a summer we're having, man. Woo! Loving this. Enjoy yourselves. It's Enjoy been yourselves, kids, and let's all jump in the car and see if these bastards can do 90. <laughs> and we know they can. Take it easy out there. This is the man, Charlie and Candidate. My name is G-Man, and this is P-Boss. Toodles. See you later, dudes. It was 90, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Yeah, 90. great. be back.